Amy and I are continuing to preach together this fall, looking at the Hebrew text and looking for connections with the New Testament. The Old Testament lessons for this fall follow the story of the Hebrew people, the exodus from slavery in Egypt, crossing the sea, the giving of the Ten Commandments at Sinai, wandering in the wilderness, coming to the promised land, and now making a way as a new people in a new land. It is the story of Judaism, the creation of a people. As a story of faith, it is our story as well. And we're asking, what did Jesus learn from that story that informed his understanding of life and faith? As I read these texts, looking for a connection, two phrases jumped out at me. From Joshua, choose this day whom you will serve, and from the gospel, watch and wait. Choose this day, watch and wait. The great theologian Paul Tillich spoke of God as our ultimate concern. The choice Joshua laid before the people 3,000 years ago is really no different than the existential questions we face today. The human condition never changes. So as we reflect on our ultimate concern, the scripture asks us today, whom will we choose? Who will we serve? What will we serve? What choices will we make? Choose this day. Jesus offers important insight into what that choice might offer, not anxious religion, not dogmatic belief, but faithful life, life of faith, watching and waiting. So let me invite you to hear today the Joshua text, not as an antiquated passage, some Old Testament, but as an appropriate challenge for each of us today. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your ancestors lived beyond the Euphrates and served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through, the land, through all of the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. Now, therefore, revere the Lord and serve God in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. In the full text, the people respond to Joshua, oh yes, we want to serve the Lord too. We'll serve the Lord. Count on us. His reply is right to the point. We need to hear it today regarding our own choices and commitments. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord. And the people said, we are witnesses. You see, no one needs to judge us for our choices. Our own actions will be their own judge. We are witnesses. You have heard the ancient story. <clears throat> Judaism was the world's first monotheistic religion. The foundational text of the religion recited daily by faithful Jews is called the Shema, 
which can be translated to hear or, ironically, also to obey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is one God in a culture deeply steeped in polytheism, a God of the sun, a God of the moon, a God of fertility, a God for each tribe and nation, in a culture of many gods, the proclamation of one God, a theology denouncing the commitments and the beliefs, the ultimate concern of all the others. This was a bold proclamation indeed. That theology was not one that was accepted overnight not even by the Jewish people. In his book on the Ten Commandments, professor and pastor uh, John Holbert says that the prohibition against idol-making, against worshiping other gods, is a frequent concern of the Old Testament and is closely related to the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. He says, in the biblical chronology, only with the book of Ezra is there finally silence concerning idolatry. Up until Ezra, every book mentions the concern and the problem of the Israelites worshiping other gods, making idols. Only with Ezra is there finally silence, suggesting that it took more than a thousand years for monotheism to fully take root in the Jewish mind. It took a thousand years of preaching, one thousand years. Oh my Amy, we only have 977 more years and I might even convince Louise Waters. She's watching at home today. I'm sorry she's not here for me to give her a hard time. 977 more years, Louise. I'm going to keep preaching. If you want to know why the religious fundamentalism that is roiling the country today is so strong, if you want to know why some churches still would not even consider Amy Jacks Dean as their pastor, why some pastors still preach against the science of evolutionary biology, scientific truth that has been affirmed for more than 100 years If you want to know why some Christians still will not accept their LGBTQ friends and family members, religion is slow moving. Truth changes slowly. People are intractable, blinded by our own biases, locked into our prejudices, committed to the arrogance of being right over the humility of being faithful. It takes a long time to make a change. When Galileo observed with his own two eyes that the earth revolved around the sun rather than all the stars revolving around the earth, the church reacted with righteous indignation. They quoted the Bible. They reminded him that human beings are the crown of creation. We are the center of it all. The Bible says so. And if you read the Bible in the same way they read it, the Bible still says so. 500 years later, 500 years later, the church recanted. Not so much offering a full affirmation of the science, but finally granting an apology, rescinding the excommunication of the once heretical astronomer. It only took 500 years. Religion is slow moving. Truth changes slowly. People are intractable. 
But Joshua says, choose this day. Not choose in 500 years. We may not have another thousand years of preaching to convince the world that religion must unite rather than divide us. That Christianity can be, must be gracefully inclusive, not dogmatically judgmental. As William Sloan Coffin's powerful benediction says it, the world is now too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love. We cannot afford another 25 generations of mean-spirited social media and angry ideology of poisonous politics and authoritarian demagogues. We need love. We need the church to show love today. Choose this day. The message is clear. It's real. It's not Old Testament. It's as contemporary as every present moment. Choose this day. And the truth is a double entendre, meaning there are two meanings hidden in one message. Choose this day. Today, make your choice. Don't delay any longer. Today is the day to choose. And choose this day. Let today be the actual choice you make. Choose to live in the present moment. Don't choose yesterday. Don't long for the past. Don't choose tomorrow. Don't wait for the future. Live now. Choose today. As the psalmist says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad today. Choose this day. May it be so. We continue on in Matthew's gospel. He's given it to them from every direction. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a shout, Look, here's the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You'd better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake. Wake up, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. You've heard the ancient story. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Some will not be prepared, awake, and ready, and some will be in the second group. Again, that is the Amy Jacks Dean translation of this text. But I do think my translation cuts out the fluff and gets straight to the point. 
also, we are so not ready and we are completely asleep at the wheel and totally unprepared. For what shall we be prepared, you ask? It's a harsh little story that he throws at them. I'm not going to lie to you. But when you dig right down to it, for what shall we be prepared? We should be prepared to recognize God, the sacred, the divine, the holy. When we see him at work, when we hear her voice, when that presence is near, we need to be awake and ready and prepared to recognize it. This text leads up to the famous sheep and goats vignette. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, you gave me clothing. I was sick, you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. When did we see you do all of this? We don't remember any of that. Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. We are so not ready. And we are completely asleep at the wheel and totally unprepared. But being a firm believer that one should not come to church to feel worse about themselves than you already do. Let me try and redeem this situation and give us some hope. But first, I want to take a little detour as an aside to say that many people are sitting in pews today reading this text, and they are hearing nothing but how sinful and bad they are and how they just need to repent and get right or get left. That's their interpretation of this text. And it's just not helpful and it's not theologically sound. Repentance is good and needed. Repentance is sound theology. Repentance is a turning around and making needed changes. And we all need that constantly. The bad theology part is the teaching that we are bad and in need of salvation. We may need salvation, but it's not because we're bad. A more helpful and healthy way to think about it is that we are God's good and beautiful beloveds. God believes in us. God roots for us. God does everything in God's power to love us. And when we don't get it right and we repent... God forgives us and loves us some more. I hope you hear this not-so-nuanced difference in the way we understand who God is and how God acts. You are not bad. You are good. Because of the unbelievable goodness of God, we have these biblical stories to guide us and make us think. We hear from God's servant Joshua, choose this day whom you will serve. There was never a doubt for Jesus that he served the God of love and grace and peace and joy and goodness. And then he taught them and us that the goal then was to 
always be ready for the inbreaking of God into our midst, which I believe is happening all the time in every place, among every people, around every situation. It's just that it's nearly impossible to believe that given the despair and the destruction and the evil that is also everywhere all the time in many places among some people around certain situations. Did you catch my differences there? The inbreaking of God is in many, it is in all places, in every people, around every situation. Destruction and despair and evil are in many places among some people around certain situations. All of the horribleness is exacerbated by a proliferation of a news cycle that runs on a 24-7 stream of almost exclusively bad news. And the fact that we hear the same bad news over and over and over again lulls us into thinking that there's nothing but bad news out there. On an overload of bad news, our brains cannot distinguish that much of the horrible that we hear about is the same horrible just told to us over and over and over again. And much of it is horrible. Name your poison. The crisis in the Middle East, the war in Ukraine, U.S. politics, homelessness, hunger, global warming, gun violence. It's all horrible. So let us wake up and choose this day to do something to make the world a better place, more just, easier, for those for whom life is too much and too hard, choose this day to wake up and be a part of the inbreaking of God that's all over the place, in every situation, among every people, in every time, in every place. If you can't do anything about the Middle East, which I'm guessing you can't, You can reach out to a Jewish friend and a Muslim friend to say that you are remembering them. And if you don't have a Jewish friend or a Muslim friend, make some. You can start by showing up at MechMen's Interfaith Thanksgiving service. If you can't do anything about Ukraine or U.S. politics, You can take that sense of helplessness and hopelessness and volunteer to serve food at the Uptown Men's Shelter or any number of other opportunities to bring an ounce of goodness in the world. The problems of the world seem so big and we feel so small and then we become paralyzed to make a difference. Wake up and choose this day to be ready to bring some healing, some hope, some goodness that will make a difference in someone's brokenness. Wake up and look for God. Look for the sacred and the divine and the holy. She is everywhere. 
He is in all things. God is breaking in all over the place, all the time, in every situation, among every people. Will you be a part of it is the question. We had dinner with some newer friends this week. I know it's shocking, but we have a few friends outside of the church. These friends invited another friend couple, and soon the six of us seemed like we had known each other forever. As we sat around the dining room table, complete with fine china and crystal and candles, we toasted the publication of Russ's new book that hit the bookshelves this week. The other four around the table asked about the book, well, tell us what it's about. <laughs> Russ offered a fairly brief premise. <laughs> it's stuff you've all been listening to for years, but these were shockingly new thoughts for our new friends. The woman across from me asked, well, what do you do with miracles? I assume wondering what to do with a God who can't do any and everything. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're going to have to read his book. And you'll have to buy it. You don't get a free copy this time, okay? <laughs> so I assume after hearing his premise about the power of a God who can't, she said, what do you do with miracles? And it hit me in that moment like I don't think it's ever hit me before. And without a second of silence to process the question or let Russ respond, I jumped in and said, isn't every good thing miracle? Like the fact that we're sitting here sharing this delicious meal among new friends, that we made it here safely, that we have a home to return to, it's all miracle given the possibilities for destruction and despair. It was as if I woke up in that moment and I saw it for what it was, the miracle of the inbreaking of God at that one table of six people. I woke up and I smelled the goodness of that moment. Of course we would come home and turn on the news and see the horribleness that is out there. But there are places where God is breaking in even in that horribleness. So when I woke up and smelled the goodness and made my big proclamation, isn't all of this miracle? The man to my left said, you sound like Albert Einstein. Not a compliment I often get. <laughs> I was unaware of the Einstein quote, but the Google confirmed it. Einstein once said, there are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is, the, is as though everything is a miracle. So even in the midst of so much horrible, choose this day to wake up and smell the goodness 
and see God in our midst using us to bring help and hope and healing. Keep awake. Keep awake. Keep awake. May it be so. Amen.